Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please take your seats as the feature presentation is about to begin. Hello, I'm Marcus, and this is the Sunshine Cinema Show. This is where we bring you movie news, reviews, and a little quiz too. Now here to share his film knowledge is a man with the same number of Oscar nominations as Richard Gere, Alan Rickman and Jim Carrey. Put together. Put together. (laughs) It's Nick Chaffee. Hello. Amazing to think that none of those men and yourself have received a single Oscar nomination. Uh, I know, I know. We're working on it. On today's show, we're going to be reviewing two very different films. Um, First up is Knives Out, a modern take on the whodunit murder mystery starring Daniel Craig and Jamie Lee Curtis. Or, if you prefer something more light-hearted, then we have Stuba, a buddy comedy that promises huge laughs and non-stop action, but can it deliver? We'll find out after our Take 5 film quiz in half an hour. Right now, though, here's Nick with the latest movie news. Thanks, Marcus. So headlines this time. The Rise of Skywalker script appears on eBay, and Elizabeth Banks set to direct and star in The Invisible Woman. With only a few weeks left before the current Star Wars trilogy concludes with The Rise of Skywalker, fans must be on constant guard against the possibility of leaked plot details. The magic of Star Wars, as we all know, consists of learning which space wizards are related to which and who ends up killing who. All stuff that can be undermined by someone screaming plot points from a passing car or, as apparently almost occurred, a film script being sold online. During an interview with Good Morning America, Skywalker director J.J. Abrams discussed this horrifying possibility, revealing that a single careless mishap with the Rise of Skywalker script almost required Disney to call its mouse-eared global assassins into action. One of her actors, I won't say which one, left a script under their bed, Abrams says. It was found by someone who was cleaning their place. This treasure trove of sequence, all of which will be drilled into the pop culture lexicon by early January or so, was given to someone else who then went to sell it on eBay, Abrams continues. Unfortunately, the hair on Bob Iger's neck must have stood up when he sensed this disturbance in the force. Disney was alerted to the breach by someone who saw the listing, giving the corporate empire an opportunity to scuttle their stormtroopers who, with an ominous lack of details, Abrams simply says, got it back before it was sold. The security is insane, Abrams mentioned. The company were really nervous about anything getting out. He describes special paper stock used to print limited scripts and the incredible measures used to protect Skywalker's plot from leaking out. And thank goodness for all of our efforts. Those of us who have been analysing every scrap of information revealed in promotional materials and production details already know some of the Rise of Skywalker's biggest plot twists, uh, like that the film ends with a few erotically charged moments in which Chewbacca sloppily kisses one of his human companions, let's not reveal who just yet, while another melancholy with jealousy looks on. But the joy of these movies is seeing these scenes play out on the big screen for yourself, with an audience widely unaware of what's in store. <laughs> that last bit was a joke, just in case anyone didn't catch it. <laughs> I don't think I'm in a hurry to see that film all of a sudden. Now, listen, if you got your hands on a copy of a Star Wars script of a film that is yet to be released, yeah. what would you do with it? Ooh, um... 
I'd probably just... I don't know, would I read it? No, I think I'd just wait, if it were me. I don't think I... I know it's a boring answer, but... <laughs> well, I don't think I'd be in a hurry to stick it on eBay of all places, because surely that's the one place that... Yeah, easy, easy to track down. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I might well proudly keep hold of the original uh, copy, and then if someone wants to buy a, a, a hastily photocopied version mm-hmm. um, with the final page missing, yeah, <laughs> set it up privately, maybe. Yeah, just so it can't be traced back to you. Yeah. Not that we would do that, of course, because it's illegal. Yes. So probably, I don't know. That's, well, yeah, probably. Yeah. So don't do that. No. We were only talking hypothetically. Yeah. <laughs> Should we mention who it was that uh, lost their scripts? And do, do we know? I thought he did. It was, it was found because um, uh, it, was, it was John Boyega, because he, he admitted it uh, a couple of days later. Really? Was, it says, um, yeah, it was actually from, from my apartment. I was moving apartments, and I left my script under my bed. I'm leaving in the morning and figure that when I leave, I'll take it with me. Um, and he says, but then my boys came over and we started partying a little bit and then the script just stayed there. And then a few weeks after, the, the cleaner comes in, finds the script and uh, puts it on eBay for, um, I think the listing was $84. What? Which isn't much. <laughs> wow. Yeah, well. Bargain. Yeah, well. DC fessed up, I think. <laughs> Good for him. Universal is moving full screen ahead with new plans to revive their stable of classic movie monsters. They have Lee Wannell's Invisible Man arriving next year and Dexter Fletcher's Dracula spin-off Renfield in the works. Now they're adding another project, Invisible Woman. Elizabeth Banks will direct and star in a film which apparently won't be connected with Wannell's Invisible Man. The tone of the film is being described as Thelma and Louise meets American Psycho and that actually sounds kind of neat. Universal previously made an Invisible Woman released back in 1940 but the tone of that one was comedic whereas Banks' project is said to be a full-on horror movie. Erin Cressida Wilson, who wrote the film adaptation of The Girl on the Train and also The Excellent Secretary, penned the most recent script for this new Invisible Woman film. Universal previously attempted to revive their classic monsters with The Dark Universe, an endeavour which failed immediately with The Mummy, starring Tom Cruise, which released two extremely negative reviews and a poor showing at the box office. Having learned their lesson with The Dark Universe, Universal now wants to create compelling filmmaker-driven projects based on characters from the studio's vast monsters legacy, and instead of describing a mandated updating of these monster stories and making them all part of a larger scheme, the studio loosened these restrictions and open-sourced filmmakers who were inspired to create their own unique stories. Hmm. Do you remember the um, the Invisible Man films? I've I've not seen any of them. I've I've seen sort of clips of uh, was it Claude Rains in the original one? There's a sort of a, a clip of him sort of unwrapping his his head and obviously showing that there's nothing underneath. Which <laughs> yeah, my, my mind boggles as to how they achieved that back in uh, the thirties. Yeah, yeah, the thirties. Yeah, thirties. Yeah. yeah, it's an impressive effect. Even now, have you seen any of them at all? I, I think I remember vaguely watching the um, the Kevin Bacon. Oh, Hollow Man. Hollow Man. Yes, I've seen that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm looking, seriously, I'm, I'm looking it's, forward to, to what they do now and, and the um, Elizabeth Banks version. Mm-hmm. Could be good. Could be good. good. Yeah. Um, I know she's just directed the new Charlie's Angels. Yeah. Which hasn't met with a great response no but you know she's maybe just finding her way with what she's doing and this new one could be could be uh, the, the right movie for her yeah I mean this will only be the um, the third film she's 
directed. So you know, possibly still early in her career for her, her to um, develop any kind of uh, noticeable style or anything. But you know, it seems like a safer answer. I mean, the, the, the fact that they're announcing this now in the wake of Charlie's Angels, which, as you mentioned, hasn't had uh, you know, great views, I think shows that they have confidence in her. So, yeah, it could turn out quite well, I think. In a world fraught with corruption, two men united by fate, torn apart by destiny, somewhere between courage and not courage, between the pharmacy and the podiatry clinic, you'll find Nick and Marcus in the Sunshine Hospital Radio Studio. Only they can bring you the Sunshine Cinema Show. Okay, then, Nick, let's have a little rundown of the top five films at the box office and available to rent. And we shall start at number five in the box office, and we have 21 Bridges. Uh, starring Chadwick Boseman, sort of uh, focuses on a citywide manhunt in which he's uh, trying to chase down some, some cop killers in Manhattan. At number four, we have Le Mans 66, also known as Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah, neither of which is a particularly great title, I think, but... The good news is that's pretty much the only unremarkable thing about the film, because I saw it uh, last week ago. Um, a week ago. <laughs> saw it last week. And it's great. It really, really works. It's a, you know, just a, a really good uh, car movie. Christian Bale's fantastic. I, I think Matt Damon might put in the best performance in the film, though. And it's it's great. It's, it's not a story that I really uh, knew too much about. So, you know, I was su- surprised by by how it went as well. It's a good, yeah, good little film. One that I know that you've been looking forward to as well. Yes, I'm, I'm yet to watch it, but... Uh I, I am keen keen to see it, especially as, like you've just said, it's met with some good, good responses. Yeah. And number three, we have Blue Story. Yeah, uh, directed and, and written by uh, Andrew on Rublu, also known as Ratman. This is uh, based on a YouTube series, series apparently, um, about uh, two young friends who become rivals in a uh, street war because they uh, come from different uh, postcodes in London. And number two, we have Last Christmas. Uh, yes, it's, well, I feel like we said this last time on the show, it's a Christmas movie. I think people know what to expect from that kind of thing. Written by Emma Thompson, who, um, well, co-written by Emma Thompson, who also stars in it as well, but focuses on um, Amelia Clark and Henry Golding in the lead roles. And there's a bunch of uh, George Michael songs in there as well. And at number one in the UK box office, no real surprise here, it's Frozen 2. Yep, which is a sequel to Frozen. <laughs> I think I've, so the stance I'm taking on. Well, it's not really a stance. My, um, I'm not rushing out to see it because I, I thought the first one was okay, but I wasn't a huge fan of it. But I'm sort of confident that whether I want to see it or not, I will see it at some point. It's that kind of movie. Eventually, you'll be in a room and it's on the TV, and you'll sit and watch the whole thing. I mean, that's pretty, that's how I that's how I encountered the first one. Same here. Yeah, stands to reason that it will happen again, and I'm I'm okay with that. All I can say about it is a friend of mine took his daughter. Uh, it was the first film that she's ever gone to see at the cinema. Ah, I think it's her. That was a big one. It, it, was, it was big, and she went dressed up as a character, oh. and she just had an amazing time. And for me, that's what cinema should be about. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Ma- ma- magical experience. Yeah. Um, so let's have a look at what's in the top five of the UK film rentals chart. Number five, Aladdin. Yep, um, I think this has jumped up a bit. It's the, the live-action remake of the uh, original Disney animated classic. 
And at number four, we have Toy Story 4. Yep, uh, previously spoken about at length many times on the programme. Uh, what do we, we give it an 8 out of 10, didn't we? It's, it's yeah, it's very good. It's, you know, one that we were nervous about, considering how good and um, how well the first three work as a trilogy under themselves. But, no, this is a, a worthy successor. At number three, we have Fast and Furious, Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, no, sorry, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, well, close enough. <laughs> that would have been a better film, I think. <laughs> the world, ah, maybe the world needs like a, well, maybe it doesn't need actually like a, a gritty reboot of that uh, comic series. I know Bill Wat- Watson wouldn't go with it anyway. What, a, Ca- a Quentin Tarantino, Calvin and Hobbes, you mean? Uh, ooh, hmm, maybe. Oh. I don't know. That's probably just Fight Club, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, previously reviewed on the programme, five out of ten, it's, uh, it's, it's okay. At number two, we have Spider Man Far From Home. Yeah, which, yeah, Spider Man films go is okay but they've done better before. Cast a great. And number one, we have The Lion King. The uh, yeah, live-action remake of the original Disney classic, <laughs> which we previously reviewed uh, on the programme, uh, gave it a four out of ten, but with the acknowledgement that we're both very big fans of the original, and you know, this wasn't really for us. I mean, it's, it's, it's the original film, but done in live-action, and I think you, you lose a lot of what makes the original so special, I think. Yeah, once you've got past... What are impressive special effects? Yeah. You're then left wanting. Mm. Anyway, if you've seen any of these films, we'd love to know what you think. You can contact us via Twitter. We are at Sunshine Cinemax. But up next, well, everyone has a motive, but no one has a clue. As a family uh, gathering goes horribly awry, we review Knives Out. This is the Sunshine Cinema Show. Yeah, with Marcus and Nick, it's time for our first review of the programme, which is Knives Out, rated 12A. When renowned crime novelist Harlan Thornby is found dead at his estate just after his 85th birthday, an inquisitive and debonair detective is mysteriously enlisted to investigate. From Harlan's dysfunctional family to his devoted staff, a web of red herrings and self-serving lies must be sifted through to uncover the truth behind Harlan's untimely death. Mr. Blanc, I know who you are. I read your profile in The New Yorker. I found it delightful. I just buried my 85-year-old father who committed suicide. Why are you here? I'm here at the behest of a client. Who? I cannot say, but let me assure you this. My presence will be ornamental. You will find me a respectful, quiet, passive observer of the truth. Brilliant. (laughs) I forget how good Daniel Craig does that accent. Mm -hmm. I just wished he'd do it in James Bond. (laughs) Knives Out was written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Uh, he previously wrote and directed Looper and Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Now, the all-star cast includes Daniel Craig, as I mentioned, Chris Evans, Jamie Lee Curtis, Don Johnson, and Tony Collette. Now, Nick, with such a strong cast, this has got the potential to be great. But is there more to this film? than just an A-list episode of Murder, She Wrote? There is. 
The problem is that we can't explain why without ruining some of the surprises the film has up its sleeve, so um, you have to sort of take my word for it, I think. But um, for a film which clearly has a lot of love for the uh, multitude of murder mysteries that have inspired it, I think it's great that the film isn't isn't quite your average whodunit. Um, you know, as much as I enjoy those films and, and TV shows, the format of them hasn't really changed much. The only big shift I can think of is the uh, Columbo series showing you who the murderer was right at the beginning. And I think that's only the, the only twist to the uh, the format that's happened over over the last century or so. So um, yes, the, the film shakes things up with regards to the formula, but it also knows that the audience is coming to it wanting to see some old-fashioned sleuthing, and it delivers on that front too. It's, it's a great example of a film that delivers what the audience wants and what they don't know that they want. And you know, this would ideally be the point in the review that I uh, paraphrase Daniel Craig's line about donuts from from late in the film, but I can't uh, because I couldn't transcribe it because I was laughing too hard because it's a very funny line. Uh, thematically, the story has a lot to say about privilege and wealth and how it can completely warp your moral compass without without you being aware of it, too. The, the film is populated by quite a few characters who would all probably consider themselves to be morally upstanding people. But as soon as the matter of uh, wills and inheritance is thrown into the mix, we see that they're all too prepared to throw each other under the uh, proverbial bus. Just, you know, great drama to watch. And we, and we can see that from the start with the uh, Rashomon-inspired first act, in which all of the main suspects are interrogated individually, but the scenes are edited in a way that shows the various contradictions in their, in their stories. Um, the only flaw I felt the film had in the way that it approached these matters... And flaw might even be a um, too strong a word. It was the the inclusion of a few uh, social media buzzwords and uh, a short conversation about real life politics. Now, you can find multiple instances in, say, Agatha Christie films where real wars and political movements are referenced because very often there's a thematic connection between the events and the story and what was happening in the world during that period. So it, it stands to reason that the same would be true of a uh, contemporary setting, such as this film. But it, it, it did make me cringe a little bit, not because it fits badly with the film, but because, quite simply, these things um, exhaust me uh, in real life, especially recently. And seeing them in a, an, an otherwise theatrical, off-the-wall murder mystery, it just, just, just threw me off a little bit. Uh, we mentioned the A-list cast at a start. I, I don't think it would surprise anyone to learn that everyone involved is you know, fantastic than ever before. Every cast member is known for being fantastic, and the, the film is no different, especially when you, you, when you look at like, it. You've got Chris Evans, you've got Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Tony Collette, Keith Stanfield, Christopher Plummer, uh, Jaden Martell, who uh, people would have seen in uh, the It films, and uh, Frank Oz as well, in a, uh, in a cameo as well, who I think he came up in the quiz a couple of shows ago. Very briefly. He's a man you don't often see, but quite often hear. Yes. Voice of yeah, you know, Yoda and, and Miss Biggie and all sorts of uh, great Muppets. But, yeah, so there's a couple of people I do want to highlight, though. Daniel Craig, you heard his accent in, in the clip. Yes, he stays that way throughout the film, and yes, it never stops being enormously entertaining. He, and his, his character's a, a perfect uh, Praro type as well. He, he knows that the key to... Um, sometimes the key to solving a mystery is to simply step back and watch and let the pieces fall into place. Um, also want to mention Noah Sagan, who is uh, a regular... Uh, cast member for Ryan Johnson. He's been in all of his films so far, and um, even got a, uh, a small role in the final episode of, well, the last episode of Breaking Bad that he directed, in which he plays uh, uh, the fireman who finds the baby. Uh, gets a much bigger role this time around, and is a uh, delight to watch. Just one last thing as well: the the cinematography in this film is an absolute 
knockout. It's not especially showy, but the, the camera work and the lighting, they combine in a way, um, and you can see this in the, in the, in the clips online, they, they combine in a way that just makes the act of um, simply looking at the actors' faces really special. And it's a, it's a special film. There's something really simple about the enjoyment of this film. If you want to sit down with some friends, with your family, with, with whoever, and just enjoy a good film together, mm -hmm. this is it. Absolutely. So let's give it a Sunshine Cinema Show rating out of 10. Okay. For only the second time this year so far, 9 out of 10. It's, I mean, for the reasons that you just said, it's a film that I immediately wanted to watch again. Not because, um, as with some other films this year, I needed to... Uh, rewatch it to solidify my opinion but simply because it's just so much fun one that I would definitely recommend seeing with an audience as well so um, yeah, do if you have the option uh, take the time to go to the cinema as well and if you want to sort of maybe go into Brian Johnson's back catalogue see something a bit similar uh, The Brothers Bloom is the one that I would recommend that people check out next Well still to come our film to rent review is Studer a comedy about a visually defective detective who recruits an Uber driver into an unexpected adventure. But before that, it's the Take 5 film quiz. This is Nick and Marcus, exclusively on the Sunshine Cinema Show. And now it's time for the Take 5 film quiz. Okay, so if you haven't joined us before, welcome along to the show and welcome to the Take 5 Film Quiz. This is a really relaxed five question quiz where your sole aim is to get more correct answers than our movie maestro, Nick. Today's quiz has five movie soundtrack trivia questions. And Nick's target score it's four out of five. Mm, okay. So, without further ado, eyes down, trousers up, here's question one. Which artist sang the song Oh Pretty Woman from the film Pretty Woman? No. See, I'm, I'm, I'm immediately second-guessing myself because I'm wondering if maybe there was a, like a new version that was on the soundtrack to that film mm. as opposed to the person who originally recorded it I'm just going to go with the I'm going to go with the one that I know <laughs> question two which 90s movie soundtrack is the best selling soundtrack of all time Ooh. which 90s movie soundtrack is the best selling soundtrack of all time question three what year was the song My Heart Will Go On from Titanic released? Mm. What year was the song My Heart Will Go On from Titanic released? Mm. Question four. The film Ghost featured the hit Unchained Melody but which brothers sang it? The film Ghost featured the Unchained Melody. But which brothers sang it? Is this a romance-themed 
quiz this year, this quiz this week? Um, Unintentionally, maybe. It is, really, isn't it? I hadn't really um, done that on purpose, but... Hmm. Oh, no, so you were just going for the music, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how that lined up. And finally, question five, and this continues. Yeah. How many consecutive weeks was the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves song, Everything I Do, I Do It For You, at number one in the UK? Ooh, okay. How many consecutive weeks was Everything I Do, I Do It For You, Mm. at number one in the UK? Hmm. Might be a couple off on this one. It's a tricky one. I mean, you're going to either know it or you're not. Have a guess. Have a think. And we'll be back right after this. In a world within our world, they've created a world unlike any other world. And in that world is a show. A cinema show. But not just any cinema show. This is the Sunshine Cinema Show. Right then, let's get some answers, see how you got on, see how Nick got on. I set in the target of scoring four out of five. To be fair to him, if he gets it, I'll be impressed, because it is quite a tricky quiz this week. Okay. So, question number one. I asked you which artist sang the song, Oh Pretty Woman, from the film Pretty Woman. Um, yeah, I've gone for Roy Orbison. Correct. Good. So there wasn't like a, a Wang Chung version or something on the. Do you know? It'd be amazing if there was, but mm. not like Alas. Question two: Which '90s movie soundtrack is the best-selling soundtrack of all time? Um, might seem like a, an odd uh, choice, but not so much when you actually look and see what songs are on it. The Bodyguard. Correct. Question three. What year was the song My Heart Will Go On from Titanic released? Um, I'm going to say it was the same year as the film, 1997. Correct. Well done. Question four. The film Ghost featured the hit Unchained Melody, but which brothers sang it? The Righteous Brothers. Are you sure it's not the Mario Brothers? (laughs) Uh, No. It is righteous. That is correct. Question five. Actually, Mario, brother, Mario and Luigi. Yeah. What's their surname? Um. Uh, well, in the um, in the text of the feature film adaptation, it was it's sort of explicitly said that the their surnames are Mario. Is it? So yeah, Mario, Mario, and Luigi, Mario. I I don't know if that's still the case, but because there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in that film that people have uh, conveniently forgotten about, I think. In most cases, the film. Yeah. <laughs> we digress. We Question digress. number five. How many consecutive weeks was the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves song Everything I Do, I Do It For You and number one in the UK? Okay, I know it was double digits, but I always forget which one explicitly. I th- so I'm going to say 13. You said 13... It's a big number. Mm. It's not big enough. It was 16 weeks. Oh, wow. And as such, Brian Adams still holds a record for the most consecutive weeks at number one. Oh, that's interesting. So that means that he, um, up until earlier this year, 
the longest the, the, the record for long, for consecutive weeks in number one was the, the same amount for the, both the UK and the US charts is that right? yeah yeah because um, I think it was Despacito and um, One Fine Day by Mariah Carey they were both number one for 16 weeks and right. they held the record until um, Old Town Road broke it earlier in the year by going for 19 interesting wow Okay, there you go. How did you get on with the quiz? Uh, Nick, your score was? Four out of five. Well done, well done. I'm most impressed. Thank you. Uh, if you beat Nick, let us know. Share us your score on Twitter at Sunshine Cinemax. Up next, however, get ready for the ride of your life as we review high-speed body comedy, Stuba. This is the Sunshine Cinema Show. It is with uh, Marcus and Nick. It's time now for our second review of the programme, which is Stuba, rated 15. A quick-tempered cop who's recovering from eye surgery recruits a mild-mannered Uber driver to help him catch the heroin dealer who murdered his partner. The mismatched pair soon find themselves in for a wild day of stakeouts and shootouts as they pursue violent criminals through the seedy streets of Los Angeles. Hey! Uber? Yeah. My God. Hey, let me guess. You want me to drive you to all the Sarah Connors in the city? <laughs> Come on, start it up. Let's go. Oh, it's already started. Electric car. I call it silent but deadly. Drive. I'm Stu. How do you do? Can I get you some bottled water, some Canadian chocolates? It was one of those things where I thought I was getting five bars on Amazon, but I ended up Koreatown. No. Koreatown? No. Hold on, I'm gonna bang a Yui here real quick. Nope, don't got it. Hold on. Oh, didn't quite make it. Just, just a couple more points and we got it. Stuber was directed by Michael Dowes, who's known by some for his all-gone Pete Tong film in uh, oh, yeah. 2004, and Goon in 2011. Oh, I thought that's really good. And uh, Stuber was written by Tripper Clancy. Can I just quickly interject and say that the, the clip that we just played works a lot better um, visually. It's, it's funnier than it sounds. <laughs> Now, it stars uh, Dave Bautista, Kamel uh, Nanjiani, I'm guessing they could get Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Kevin Hart, and we also have Iko Uwe and Mira Sorvino. Now, come on, Nick, let's be honest, we've reviewed quite a lot of bloody action comedy movies over the years on this show. Mm -hmm. Would you say that this is up there with Midnight Run, or is it down there, way down there, <laughs> with Men in Black International? It's certainly got elements of both. Uh, the overall setup is reasonably grounded, like Midnight Run. Uh, it does, however, share a prominent cast member with Men in Black International in uh, Camille Nanjiani. Now, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his work as a as a stand-up comedian uh, and a pod podcast host, and as part of the uh, cast ensemble on Silicon Valley, which is an excellent program. But um, I'm always a little hesitant when it comes to movies he's in because. I, I think he struggles to find projects in which he fits in comfortably. It's often felt like he's brought in um, whenever the film in question wants to simply be funnier. 
than it, it has been, which isn't to say that he gives bad performances. It's just that those performances often feel tacked on, like a little, little bit surplus to requirements, which is something I specifically brought up during our Men in Black review last month. And it you know, doesn't help that the, the overall quality of the films he's been in have uh, not been great across the board. The the exception to this is The Big Sick, which is um, perhaps isn't surprising because it was a film he, he co-wrote with his wife based on their real-life experiences. Fortunately, for a film in which he's one of the two leads, Stuber gets it right in, in casting him. And in fact, there's a lot of things that the film gets right. I think uh, certainly a lot more than I was expecting because considering the uh, critical and commercial response the film had on cinematic release, I was... I was genuinely surprised when about 30 minutes in I realised not only am I having fun, I am interested in these characters and where they might end up when the film is over. Uh, it's paired with Dave Bautista, who you know, we already know from the uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies works well with action comedies that have a surprising amount of heart in them. And I think the same is somewhat true of Stuber, because we, we see from the opening scene that his character has a lot more to him than meets the eye, certainly a lot more than the trailers suggested. Uh, I think Bautista manages to use that to inform the comedic aspects of his performance, and it's in, in a pretty impressive way. Uh, Natalie Morales plays his daughter. In movies like this, you often have a character whose job is to just be disapproving, and that largely is her role in this, but the, the, the script and her performance take care to make you understand her position. Uh, villain is played by uh, Iko Uwais, uh, previously seen in the Raid movies, and is understandably a uh, formidable presence here and you know it's it's good to see him in in stuff gets a, a lot more to do in this one than he did in the force awakens there's a good amount of laughs which is um maybe to be expected well or at least hoped for but the the action scenes have some real punch to them which is unexpected um i think a large amount of action movies being made these days feel very sloppy when it comes to the actual action which is something we've talked about before in the program so for an action comedy to make a visible effort in being a little bit tighter than usual in that department is is genuinely surprising. It's not John Wick, but um, it's it, it is better than a lot of other action films and I've seen and reviewed on the program recently. Uh, and it's produced by John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, who uh, wrote and directed the film Game Night last year and. Stuber hits the same tone as as that, and it's, you know, it's just as good as uh, at, at mixing the action and comedy. Um, and the soundtrack is amazing as well. Although it's one of those strange situations where you only get to hear uh, around about ten seconds of each song in the film itself, which can't be a, a particularly cheap method. But still, the songs are in there, and they're very good. <laughs> Now, going into this film, I must admit, I didn't have very high expectations. No, not And right. for me, it, it reached those low expectations. No. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, don't, I don't want to be too down on the film. It, it is what it is. It's, it's a light-hearted comedy from, from my perspective. If you've seen any buddy cop action buddy-type films in your life, you kind of know what you're going to get with this. If you want to get a film that you've... You, you you want to put on and go and make a cup of tea halfway through and come back and answer the door and check your emails while it's on, it might well amuse you in the background. Mm. Um, well, let's get a Sunshine Cinema score for it. And, and, and we'll see. We'll, we'll move on. And we'll see what we can settle on. <laughs> okay, the score I have written down mm-hmm. is uh, 7 out of 10. Um, it's, it's, no, it's not Midnight Run, but... 
um, and I feel like this is a, a phrase I've been saying very often on, on the show lately, it's a pretty good example of the type of film it's time to trying to be, I think. And um, although it's you know not great, I, I, I found it really entertaining uh, while it was on. It's hard for me to disagree and <laughs> and be down on, on a film that you've enjoyed, and, and that's that's all you need to get out of the film, a bit of enjoyment. Mm. Um, and I think you, most people watching it will get a bit of enjoyment out of it. I didn't get 7 out of 10's worth of enjoyment out of it. I would say I was um, probably around 5 out of 10 on it. Let's let's negotiate, let's compromise, let's do a deal, let's barter. Can we can we 6 out of 10 this? Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Stuber gets a 6 out of 10. You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please remember, don't get them wet, keep them out of bright light, and never feed them after midnight. Well, sadly, we are once again approaching the end of the show, and uh, we just have enough time to get, tell you some of the upcoming releases. Yeah, we'll start at the cinema. Uh, coming out on the 6th of December is Lucy in the Sky. This stars Natalie Portman. Astronaut Lucy Kohler returns to Earth after a transcendent experience during a mission to space and begins to lose touch with a reality in a world that now seems too small. Yeah, nothing to do with the uh, the Beatles track of a similar title. Uh, also coming out on the uh, the 12th of December, which um, I think this might be a remake, there's uh, Black Christmas. Yeah, why not have a horror film at Christmas time? <laughs> um, this is about a group of female students. They're stalked by a stranger during their Christmas break. That is until they discover that the killer is part of an underground college conspiracy. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a remake of the uh, original Black Christmas from 1974. Oh. So go to the DVD and Blu-ray releases um, December 9th. I don't know if, if we talked about this on the show previously. Blinded by the Light. No, well, we mentioned it because it was... Uh, one of those films that we both wanted to see. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, set in 1987 uh, during the austere days of, of Thatcher's Britain. Uh, it's about a teenager who learns to live life, understand his family, and find his own voice through the music of Bruce Springsteen. Yes. And I, I did get to see it in the end, and I liked it a lot. So maybe maybe this is maybe that's one we'll sort of review on on DVD in the uh, maybe next show or a couple of shows time anyway one that we have previously reviewed also coming out on DVD on December 9th is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood which we uh, gave a, a 8 out of 10 yeah I enjoyed it a lot Quentin Tarantino Brad Pitt DiCaprio huge cast yes Margot Robbie as well yeah. Sharon Tate right so shall we let's go back in time a little bit to um, the Netflix um, have a couple of sort of big exclusives that have come out of the uh the previous weeks, all of which I feel like might be in contention for awards come the beginning of next year. So we just want to talk about them briefly, just to let people know that they are there um, and yeah, ready to be watched if you have a Netflix account. Let's start with the big one, The Irishman, hmm. directed by Martin Scorsese, based on the book I Hear You Paint Houses, written by Charles Brandt. Uh, stars Robert De Niro, Al Pacino and uh, Joe Pesci. Robert De Niro is the, uh, in the, the titular role as a mob hitman recalling his uh, possible involvement with the slaying of Jimmy Hoffa. I saw this when it came out on Thursday evening. It's long. It's, it's three and a half hours long. <laughs> Possibly didn't need to be that long to tell the particular story, but it's still a fantastic piece of work, as is to be expected from modern Scorsese. A lot more reflective than people might think it's not quite Goodfellas 
um, but it's a, an excellent piece of work as well. If that doesn't take your fancy, um, slightly more light-hearted affair, uh, Dolomites is my name, um, starring Eddie Murphy in the lead role, portraying uh, Rudy Ray Moore um, as he sort of enters the black exploitation uh, film genre with his movie Dolomites. Uh, this was written by Scott Alexander and Larry Kazuzuki, who uh, in the 90s they wrote Edward, which was directed by Tim Burton. I, this is a film with a similar tone, equally very good, and Eddie Murphy is fantastic in the lead role. That's it. Thanks for joining us. Bye. If you missed anything in today's episode, you can hear the edited podcast online. Just search for the Sunshine Cinema Show podcast. This is a Sunshine Hospital Radio production. Get well soon.